This is the one with open heart surgery. Doctor Transference. The beginning and end of San Francisco Mean Time. Grace Under Fire. Paul McGann's Who Am I? John Smith slash Doe. And Non-Stop Jelly Babies. It's called Doctor Who, the movie! Here Here we we go. go! We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Dalen Hood, and the Cybertronic race. Some Torrens look like taters, and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS, we're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Episode by episode, we're trudging down this temporal. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be than who back when? Who back when? Ladies and gentlemen of Podcast Land, and welcome to another exciting, marvellous, magnificent episode of Who Back When? A Doctor Who podcast. Oh, dog oh, past. Dog past. <laughs> Readers from the days of yore might remember me. <laughs> and listeners, the first podcast available in print. <laughs> AI automatically transcribes it all, isn't it? In the future, this is how podcasts are consumed. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Anyway, my name's Marie. I'll be your host today. Hello, Marie. Hello. Hello. <laughs> lovely, lovely to be back. This is my first classic Who. Excited to join. Oh, of course it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> left it until the last minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it officially a classic? We were talking about that with my fellow co-host. It's a very good question. To my left over here. It's me, Jim. Hello. Hello, Marie. Hello, podcast fans. Hello, those two people who haven't been introduced yet. One of them who I'm going to point to oh, randomly. Thanks is the guy with a beard. Hello, that's me. It's Leon. Hello, Jim. Hello, Marie. Hello, Podcast Land. And hello, handsome stranger across my dinner table. <laughs> For want of a more handsome stranger, it must be me, Drew Back When. Hello, Drew. Hello, Podcast Land. Hello, Marie. Hello, Jim. Well, that's Marie, another hello. So done. <laughs> awesome to have you back. Yay. Awesome Woo-hoo. to be back. Thank you. <laughs> what are we discussing today? Well, I believe we are discussing a pinnacle moment of Doctor Who history where old meets new in the form of a TV movie with the marvellous Mr. McGann and some other fine people. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, for oh, those of you movie. who don't read the file names, this is C-160 Doctor Who the movie! Yes! Oh, wow. That's, that's what I was what else smokes. could it be? <laughs> it took us a decade to get to this point. I am absolutely thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> this film was barely out when we started. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. Berlin, how did you guys feel about this film? I can speak for only myself. I'm probably thoroughly in the meh camp at the moment. <gasps> we shall see what mm. evolves through discussion. Ah, Marie? Right. I'm in the opposite camp, and multiple times on my sheet of A4 paper, I wrote plus 10 points because <laughs> <Wow>. I was <laughs> so in love with just everything. We'll get to the fine details, but... This movie made me very happy. I will hear no negativity today, thank you. Oh, oh dear. I might have to turn my microphone off. <laughs> there might be some negativity. But, well, it, Drew and I just watched this moments ago, and I have a feeling, am, am I right in thinking, Drew, that we agree with one of our co-hosts in Berlin? There are two more people huddling in the giddy camp over here. Yes. On multiple occasions, something would happen, and I would say to Leon, I'm not going to lie, I just gasped a bit, and he was like, me too. <laughs> I didn't Sorry? need to explain that I was gasping. I was just gasping out loud. Had you seen this film before? Yes, but like so long ago that I could remember nothing of it other than Paul McGann's haircut and coat. That was the lasting impression. <laughs> they are memorable, yeah. it's fair. <laughs> yeah, they both are actually. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think I may have only watched it when it aired. I'm not sure if I rewatched it before. Whoa. I'd only seen it once before with, with Nick, oddly enough when we were probably in the midst of reviewing sort of Troughton or, mm. yeah, Troughton or maybe Pertwee. So in the early days of Who Back When. And you hadn't had enough Doctor Who that evening. Uh, we just like, let's have another hour let's and a just, half. Let's just, let's just watch this thing. And my recollection of it was nowhere near as good as what we just watched. What we just watched was phenomenal. Okay. So to complete the quartet of have you seen it, I thought that I had seen it, but now I'm less sure that I did because I didn't have any memory synapses fired by this there was one moment as we were watching it and it was like deep into act three of the film where you suddenly went oh, maybe i haven't seen this <laughs> <laughs> or maybe i've just seen bits of it in new who approximately mm. 174 times yeah. yeah yeah that's true oh it has set a tone hasn't it for new who if there are so many parts of oh, we will discuss all of it oh my goodness oh Marie, where are we starting this thing? What are we doing? What's this whole thing about? Do we know? Do we need to summarize this? What would you suggest? Do you know what I would recommend? I think we should just dive straight into a B-scow. Ooh. Hi. <laughs> Let's. Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free-for-all we like to call a bite chunk of hoo. Seven has dispensed with his companions to catch up on some light, time-travel-themed reading at home alone. But little does he know that a phantom menace is lurking in his old frenemy the Master's funeral's casket, holding a secret of the ooze. Forced to make an emergency landing in San Francisco in 1999 with consummate English naivety, Doc steps through the door without a bodyguard into the middle of a Chinatown gangland turf war, and Twister is instantly felled by a hail of good old American bullets. Doctor can do little as he's taken to hospital where pretty woman Grace Holloway, utterly clueless as to his anatomy, tries to patch Adams him back up. But it's a time to kill, a mission impossible to save him, and sadly he expires in the process. A new McGanning is upon him, however, and his sixth sense tells him the master, dressed as a man in black, is spreading true lies and plotting Armageddon. With the Eye of Harmony wide open, Earth may never see daylight, and Doc and Grace with the remains of the day must ensure tomorrow never dies before the master makes him die hard to die harder. Be scout over. You, you are, are welcome. welcome. Aren't you just podcast land? <laughs> right. Where are we starting? What gave Leon the biggest semi or full on boner of, of, <laughs> of McGann's outfit or performance or a haircut? I don't know. I think it may have been Grace Holloway's outfit when she came <laughs> back from the opera. As she's running down the corridor, you mean? Yeah. Well, there may have been comments. She reminded me of Villanelle in the big it's... pink thing. Oh, nice. How do you feel about her in general? I loved her. I thought she was fantastic. She was very ballsy. I like that she like stood up to the boss. When the boss was like, you're not going to quit. And she was like, watch me. And she just walked out in her ball gown. Or like carrying her ball gown at that point, probably. But yeah, she was very... Is, is that how heart surgeons quit their jobs? <laughs> I really hope so. I want, I want to know what was in her massive box of stuff. Like all Exactly. That's almost files. exactly what I asked at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Taking all these microscopes. No. <laughs> You have another seven heart surgeries on your docket for the day, but no, 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 pack, pack the stuff on your desk because you have a desk. <laughs> there are plenty of consultants on call they can call in. This was a point when 
Leon said, ah, this has just lost a few tenths for me. And I thought that with you, Marie, that that scene was pretty I, cool. I don't know. That was not the scene that lost tenths for me. That you scene, said it had gone from high fours to mid fours at yes, that point. Yes, that was, that was when McGann stepped out through, after he had punched his way out of the morgue. <laughs> and the chap whom we later on see at the New Year's Eve party, as he looks at him, incredibly theatrically says something like, no, this can't be. And then- Oh my God. And then faints. That's when I said this went from high fours to mid fours. If zombie Jesus just walked through the morgue door, you wouldn't faint? Like, I think that's faint worthy. It probably was faint worthy. I've just, I had qualms about his, the delivery of his, <laughs> his lines. I adored that man. I loved him when like he was putting, like kind of tucking in the seventh doctor to bed and he was like, see you later. And he was so cute and camp and lovely. And it was just like set the tone for the fun part of the evening. And I loved watching him dance his little heart out. It's like, you've earned that party, that New Year's <laughs> party. Like you've had this miserable job at the morgue and then you've had the most traumatic experience of your life when the dead guy comes at you and now you're just yeah just dancing it all away did you recognize him from something i'm just opening this on imdb because i feel like i've seen him yeah i did i am just just looking him up i think i might know him from how i met your mother is the only thing i'm not quite sure who he was but he was a recurring character called doug martin he's in happy gilmore Wilson, I definitely recognise his name. Happy Gilmore, by the way, possibly one of Abby's favourite films. Oh, yeah? Just behind Tommy Boy. Tommy Boy is pretty Really? Great. Yeah. <laughs> More 90s films. Ah, what a decade. But I feel like it had that really, like, nostalgic vibe as well. The whole thing was so, just so iconically 90s. Like, there were so many, it felt like a bunch of movies smushed together. Like, the master looked like the Terminator with his, like, big glasses and his green yes. outfit. and. Like it was just like a pretty woman rom com with all the romance and just like every every like nineties thing smushed in together. I loved it. I think that there might... was a point where oh sorry, go for it. Sorry. I say I think that might be why I was little in the Met camp because it just felt like it wasn't its own thing. The master yeah, and he starts off being the Terminator and then ends up looking like the Terminator and then turns into just I don't know, like a Bond villain partway through and then finally gets a bit master like and then dies. I don't know. It's, and that just kind of like was the theme throughout the film for me. Is like it struggled to find its own cohesion and then got it for a little bit. And maybe towards the end or the middle, depending on which bit you're talking about. I don't know. The rest of the time it was just a bit. Yeah, don't forget, he was also the Grand Serpent and Frankenstein's monster. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, true. I was fully prepared to despise this master. And I came away from it thinking, pretty good. Pretty good. Not even the worst master. I don't know how I would rank them all, but... I'm digging Eric Roberts all across the place. Well, my question for all three of you is, has there ever been a more shocking hardcore master? So violent, so brutal. Literally what I wrote down. Like, he was so cutthroat, the way he just woke up the morning and, like, just strangled the woman in bed with him. Like, what the fuck? Like, normally, I think the masters in the new who are a lot more, like, kind of jokey. And they do, obviously, they kill people sometimes, but not, yeah, not that brutal. And that really shocked me. And then Never so graphically, no. Yeah, and then it took it out of, like, rom-com, happy, funny stuff into, like, being very, like, serious very quickly, which I quite like. When he walked up and broke Lee's neck. Just snapped uh, Chang Lee's neck. I know. That was brutal. So unexpected. Yeah, totally, totally was not ready for him to go at that point. Yeah. I mean, 
mean, basically, not at all. The master kills everyone that he meets. Like there aren't that many people in this film, and everyone the master meets, he kills. Yes. <laughs> wow. That yeah, that's true. The like, only person he doesn't kill is the woman in the hospital yeah. whom he terminates when he walks up and yeah. all but says, "I'll be back." Yeah. Yeah. All but says, "Give me the medical records if you want to leave." <laughs> <laughs> or have you that's seen this boy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no I, I definite plus points in my book as well for that. Yeah. I like a vicious villain that just does the shit rather than talking about it. Yep. And I really like the, okay. the trick of like the eyes. Whenever you pull the glasses down, the green, like it's just so, it, it's quite subtle, but it's so immediately off that everyone who sees him knows that he's evil. Like there's no question about it. Well, except for Lee. Poor Lee. Poor baby Lee. Lee. who follows him around constantly. like, mm, yeah, no, this man with snake eyes, sunglasses indoors, a leather duster, kind of pale, missing one fingernail, by the way. Th- this dude, totally trustworthy. <laughs> He's talking about stealing someone's life. and <laughs> He's going to make him a billionaire. Wouldn't you risk it all to be a billionaire? I, I don't know if I would trust the man. No. I mean, Snakes, not the, the classically trustworthy animals. <laughs> so like, mm, he says he's going to make me a billionaire, but... I do have to say, I found him it... fairly convincing because I remember there were points I was turning to Jim and I would be like, wait, did this happen in like classic who like did the doctor steal the body of the like master is this real and jim was like no obviously he's bullshitting but he's he was so convincing i was second guessing myself yeah yeah i feel like if that were to happen in new who they would make it more obvious for the kids following along that he was bullshitting but this was a slightly more mature way of handling it i think This is also, I think, another symptom of this film, either taking for granted that the audience has seen the TV show and is familiar with part of the story, part of the legacy, or just going, you know what, we don't give a shit. If you're new to this, doesn't matter, we'll confuse the heck out of you right from the start. Because... They never really explain regeneration until it just happens. They never explain why Sylvester McCoy is there. He just is, and then he, he doesn't get an introduction. He's just there. Well, McGann does a bit of a voiceover at the beginning, say, towards the end of my seventh life, I was sitting down in a nice comfy armchair. But going against Jim's argument of it was trying to be everything, it was also very much Doctor Who at the same time, because the Master had just got his animal eyes in the last seventh Doctor serial, Survival. And they carried a lot of stuff through, a lot of stuff that was canonically present and correct. And they made no apologies for it. They were just like, this is fan bait and the rest you can catch up. So those are cat's eyes that you're thinking of. And you very rightly pointed out, he did get those in survival. Mm. But I think those are actually snake eyes, namely the snake eyes that he has later on in the film. He comes out as a kind of a worm. And when we see that worm up close, we realize it's essentially a space cobra. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Presumably those eyes are snake eyes. I love the space cobra Um, as well. I loved all the CGI. Stunning effect. You know, actually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Stunning effects. Not, yeah. They've held up pretty well. This is, what, 96? This came out? So made... Yeah. Indeed. Maybe 95 or something. Yeah. Like, there are a shit ton of films from that era that have not held up like this has. <laughs> when they just went yeah. too heavy into CGI and it was still a little bit immature and they didn't use it very well. Whereas this, I feel like they held their hand back a little bit, perhaps. Used used it with a little bit of practical effects here and there, some special lighting. I don't know. But yeah. Yeah, good props. I could jump, <laughs> yeah. jump on the good points. I'm going to bring the negative, though. <laughs> Yeah, also there was full-on CGI stuff, though, that the new series picked up on. There was the time vortex. There was 
the TARDIS comes right up to the camera, does a little spin, just like it did in Eccleston times, and then buggers off again, and the rest of it. Uh, they copied that shot for shot in the new stuff. Oh, that's a nice. I didn't know that. Yeah. And it all contrasted so massively with this myth, this feeling that, well, this sort of cultural subconsciousness that, oh, the movie was just a massive mistake and we pretend that it's not really a thing and it didn't really happen. No, clearly people love it. It's possibly too early in this podcast episode to ask this question, but maybe ruminate on it if you don't want to answer right away. How do you feel about this as the start of a Doctor Who reboot versus Rose? I feel like actually this might be a slightly better reboot. The only thing that actually bothers me for it to be a reboot, I don't mind it so much as being a one-off, but is that the Doctor is going around having romantic entanglements with whoever he meets basically like that just wasn't a thing in the classic era and it's been pretty much 100% poorly treated in the new who era it's treated better in the movie yeah that's mm. that's for sure but i wouldn't want it to set the precedent that that is what doctor who is about that's what the doctor is about seducing earth women now he's half half human so there's a precedent set as well that gallifreyans are going off starting relationships with humans all this kind of stuff that's a very different vibe but i think the tone of it i'd be more on board for this kind of stuff why yeah why do what makes you say it's treated better in the movie than in the series because i feel like the first time we have it like him the doctor like having a romantic relationship with someone in a series it's had a long time to build up so surely that's more natural than like in this movie he just kind of gets his memory back and he's like oh i'm just gonna kiss this woman who's in front of me who i met five minutes ago i must admit i totally forgot about river which is obviously what you're referencing i presume marie well also rose like it didn't happen in the first episode it took didn't it take i just never bought rose thing and i always felt it was a bit creepy to be honest (laughs) so but which which was my reference for this is like the companion relationships because i think grace is falling into companion territory like to the point where they stick her and lee next to the tardis console in just something about the configuration of where they were stood opposite the doctor mm-hmm. just immediately looked like companions in the tardis with the doctor like stock photo type territory um, I, I think this film in that regard sorry to jump in but i think this film also suffers from being made before widescreen and therefore everyone is framed standing super close to each other like because re- <laughs> that's the only way that you can have a conversation between two characters unless you make it a wide shot or something yeah yeah i think yeah i mean the romance stuff was wasn't great in this film but yeah compared to like the companion stuff that's happened in new who i guess was was my comparison but not a massive deal. Anyone else want to chime in on this being a reboot point? Or shall we move on to a different... Well, no, he's a zesty dandy. We're learning stuff about him from the first hammering on the morgue door to the, That's to the last, right? Well, the hammering on the morgue door, the like punching dents into a <laughs> metal door does not... Yeah tally with the doctor that he is for the entire rest of the film for me no he's got to get out of there he doesn't know who he is yet and those are (laughs) thick hinges and yeah like is it one of those freezer doors that has like a massive handle thing and lock yeah yeah all of that yeah not anymore (laughs) yeah (laughs) there are like but he's there's pulverized concrete on the floor but he's filled with the power of regeneration and you're right drew he doesn't know who he is he's like Maybe I'm a guy who punches my way out of a freezer. I don't know. And so he just does it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know till I try. <laughs> it was I thought it was mighty convenient that he gets put into like a freezer room, not one of those little drawer things that you can't even sit up. <laughs> yeah, I did think that True. as well. Like, you can't yeah. fit many dead people in this morgue. <laughs> no. <laughs> Four it's people. The VIP tops. morgue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, she's really an excellent surgeon. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Like, yeah. Nobody ever dies in the hospital. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now, they should have had more doors and he should have come out of Doctor Number 8's door. Mm. Uh, that would yeah. have been too too simplistic. Too on I, the nose. Yeah. I sort of didn't mind the romance, but then again, I knew that this was a one-off. And were this the start of a whole series of 13, 26, a whole Doctor's run, I would be worried that he was like a... 90s dandy english version of captain kirk he rocks up on a planet and the local maidens just fall into his arms are vulnerable to his charms and and that's it he just snogs his way around the cosmos but then it's kind of what we got with tenant so i, I don't know what i'm talking about <laughs> <laughs> i did think oh she'll travel with him i'd completely forgotten essentially everything about this film she's set up to be either a love interest or a permanent companion like she's She's quit her job. She doesn't have that. Mm. She, we established no family connection. She's ended her relationship. And mm. she started flirting with this new chap. Yeah, and she's going to get kicked off that board of trustees when that guy complains about <laughs> his atomic beryllium clock going missing. Just wait until the police guy fingers her, as uh, metaphorically, as the, <laughs> the person who stole his bike and shot oh, at yes. police equipment. Like, oh my goodness. She, she is primed to leave San Francisco and possibly this entire era of uh, this this humanian era so why doesn't she it's isn't that odd even if this is a one-off why not one-off end it with the two of them leaving together Uh, yeah i 100 agree i think that was the one maybe not the one but like that that was a really weak point for me because it was set up she like it's supposed to be like she's his equal like he goes oh why don't you come with me and she in turn goes oh no you come with me and it's like but you haven't got anything to offer him what are you he's literally told you you've seen the end of the world and then like a different potential future universe and his home planet 250 million light years away or whatever it was and she doesn't even have a sofa yeah yeah (laughs) why why on earth would you think he would stay with you what do you have to offer him and it just yeah that fell a little flat for me and then now you've put it into all of that context she should absolutely be on the next like Right out of there, Tardis out of there. Yeah, hundred percent. I never understand it when people say no, but yeah, even yeah. more so in this case. Yeah, you're so right. There's an arrogance to it. Oh, sorry, Jim. I say, doesn't that kind of extend to Lee as well? Like he spends so long, just he waits around for the doctor in the hospital, like to make it seem like he's this good guy, even though he's caught up in all this gang warfare stuff. He then tags along with the master for the rest of the movie, like he has nothing else to do. And then as a farewell gift the doctor says don't be here christmas next year because he's obviously gonna get killed and it's like get the fuck out of there get in the tardis go (laughs) (laughs) yeah no one here goes there are aliens we were there's never a bigger on the inside moment there's never any kind of curiosity to learn more or spend more time in this world to which they've just had their eyes forcibly opened a slight nitpick there is a bigger on the inside moment when lee comes in goes out again goes for the walk oh that's true no sorry you are you are right about that that's true but i actually really loved that because it was like what we've seen with everyone else but he was alone when he found it so there was no verbalization of it's bigger on the inside but he did exactly what people do which is run outside and run around the back and then go back in wide-eyed again actually yeah sorry you're super duper right absolutely yes 
But at the end, that fascination isn't sustained. He doesn't go, wait, 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 I share a room with some other person and that room is exactly the same size on the inside and outside. Please, can I come with you? This is way more interesting. And you're right about Grace going, why would she? Why would she ask him to stay there as an alternative to going with him? Because she's a modern 90s career woman. She stands on her own two feet. She doesn't have a career. She ended her career. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she just she just discovered that people with two hearts exist. She's got to go and figure out how it works. And uh, yeah, she's also yeah, just she's been abandoned. Without him. She's also just I been abandoned her. by Brian. And so Brian. she wants <laughs> Brian wants sit and swivel. What an utter I mean, Brian, what a wet blanket. And calls her up, oh, why did you leave me? Because I'm a fucking doctor and I'm yeah. on call. Fucking saving lives. You yeah, douche. what are you doing? Go to <laughs> yeah. the opera. But yeah, she's got abandonment issues. She's just testing the Doctor to see whether he will commit to her or whether his life in the stars is more exciting. And yeah, he he fails the test, I think. Oh, okay. I, that, you, I think Brian you're right Brian literally that, cleared out. Cle- Brian cleared out within a couple of hours. <laughs> like, he he was straight on the phone to the removal. For, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The logistics alone, Brian must be a <laughs> really good project manager of some sort. Actually, he runs a <laughs> removal company. <laughs> I think those removers as well go and saying, do you really live here? Is this your sofa? Oh, fuck it. How are we going to get the sofa out of <laughs> You know, I have more of a problem with what Lee doesn't do than with what Grace doesn't do. Oh, what's that? Because when the Doctor is fiddling with the calendar in the console, December 29th, 30th, 31st, where do you want to go back to? And Lee's like, yeah, don't drop me back there because I won't survive the next two days. He doesn't think... Neither will my two buddies who oh, died at the so beginning. True. Uh, oh, but they can just stay dead because I've got a big bat of yellow. Oh, but you know what <laughs> you can say about really, really good friends? They're rare. They're like gold dust. And he now has two massive bags of the stuff. Who yeah. cares? Yeah. And I want him to walk off into the sunset saying, oh, at least I've got you, my precious gold. I'm going to invest in the dot-com bubble. <laughs> I'm going to put all of my money in anti-millennium bug software. Yeah. <laughs> 100 mil on Napster, my good man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. It's come around again, so I'm going to have to I'm going to have to say it. I didn't get to chance to say it earlier. Who the fuck would see a bag of gold-colored dust and really believe that was gold dust? No one's seen that before. Like, no, that is the worst swindle in history. Like, I'm just going, yeah, yeah, right, mate. I'm not going, oh, yeah, fucking hell, I could be a billionaire. You've, you've forgotten how easily Lee believes everything that Well, he yeah, this is going back to the <laughs> thing that he's an Although absolute to... dupe. <laughs> yeah, you're both right. Why does he not go, this is not the most convenient form in which to store gold? <laughs> like, yeah, I don't, I don't really like money a... in form. Like, I could accidentally <laughs> inhale. <laughs> Oh, but it's great for applying to your steak. Oh, yeah. Yeah, He was the first guy to do that. Salt Bay is on your steak, yeah. (laughs) I want to rewind just a minute because we talked about the banging out of the freezer section. But (laughs) I really, really liked the scene after that where he, well, it confused me a bit because he somehow ends up in a room that's been hit by a tornado. And everything's destroyed. And there's a thousand mirrors in there for some reason. Really conveniently placed mirror shards that all are reflected. They're all facing the same person at one point. Everyone angled at him. Yeah. Don't really understand where it was. However, I'll tell you what it was. He stumbled into every grunge music video of the decade. 
<laughs> True. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but it really made me think of like the Capaldi thing with the uh, yeah. and like oh who found the space and da 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 and like. It was a really nice little moment. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah that's yeah. true. Why this face slash who am I? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was nice. But yeah, what the fuck is it with like TV and film? Or is it really a thing in America where every hospital has an abandoned wing that somehow then looks like a horror movie set? Like Definitely every hospital what? in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, like put some beds in there and make it functional. Come on. Also, someone turn off the water because you're leaking a lot of it into this room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, your water bills must be through the roof. Another thing in this scene, which I feel like uh-huh. is worth worth diving into a little bit, is is this one of I think three moments of Jesus iconography. Like McGann throws his arms yeah. back in across when he first appears. He's, he's wearing knees. like a shroud, a shroud, and something about it. It just looks very oh, Jesus rising from a dead moment. And yeah. then he gets a thorn. Then he gets a thorn of crowns at the end. Like I is, didn't is think about that. You're thorns, so right. Yes. yes, you're so right. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, I put my words in the wrong order, but yes. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that's like, great. This is intentional, surely. And even like the Frankenstein analogy isn't like Frankenstein is. Is that meant to be like biblical? Man based? become like being God, like making. Life. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that does feed through on that level as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because Frankenstein's whole deal is the monster's whole deal is addressing Doctor Frankenstein as his creator. And you read Frankenstein recently, recently yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. That's absolutely true. When he comes yeah, out, sorry, when Grace is with, uh, what's his face, Will Sasso, and says, like, surely this is, you need to go upstairs to the mental hospital wing and get yourself some antipsychotics because clearly you're tripping balls. Because it's not the second coming. Exactly. She makes a natural yeah. reference to uh, to Jesus. Uh, yeah. I actually missed that line. Yeah. Do we feel like this was well played out? It was worth doing? What, the Jesus making... Yeah. Was it worth making the Doctor look like Jesus? <laughs> I'm not so convinced myself. But if you take them in isolated incidents and not connect it, I think they all looked quite good. I had not put two and two together and thought about the crown of thorns at all. Mm. When he wore that, my, I was mainly focused on the weird chest plate that came with <laughs> it. Yeah. Oh, and the <laughs> like, eyeball thing. <laughs> why? And the eyeball, yes, like the clockwork orange eyeball thing. Oh. Yeah. I mean, the eye thing's the only thing that makes sense. Like, he's meant exactly. to keep his eyes open. The why rest of it is entirely superfluous. <laughs> yeah. <It's> exa- completely. <laughs> and it's not like he's wearing that thing almost as though it's meant to ke- keep him looking at the light. But that thing isn't attached to anything. The chest plate isn't attached to anything. He can clearly move around. I mean, he's, his arms are... His hands are shackled, but aside from that, perfectly mobile and free to look away from Eye of Harmony lights. Yeah. He can even swing from his chains and two-footed kick people. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> how free he is to move. <laughs> Should we have a little mention of Sylvester McCoy? Because he was in this way more than I remembered, actually. Same, yeah. yeah. And I really enjoyed seeing him. Hello, Sylvester McCoy. I know. Was he exactly like the Sly McCoy that we had on TV? In the TV series, I mean. Or was he slightly movified? I would say he was probably slightly movified. I mean, and just in the sense that he didn't do a lot. He didn't have to do a lot. They were taking time with shots to let him just sit there. Or he was part dead for a lot of it as well. But 
Um, I don't think he rolls his R's, by the way. It just dawned on me. Does he? Ooh. Didn't notice it. I'm not sure he does. No. Maybe he never said an R. Oh, maybe, yeah. <laughs> he deliberately wrote his, his dialogue differently. He doesn't have a lot of lines, to be fair. No. Yeah. And most of those lines no, are said under circumstances in whilst just about to be operated upon. Yeah. I quite enjoyed that seeing him as good. a little homebody, little old Bilbo Baggins at the end there. After all the main action has moved along and he's sitting in his chair reading his time machine book. Yeah. It was all immensely charming. And his giant TARDIS library set that Capaldi would later just steal for himself. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Reading a book by H.G. Wells, whom he met and inspired to write said a book. The Seventh Doctor. Oh, yeah. Not the Seventh Doctor, but was it Colin Baker? No, who was it? Who met H.G. Wells? Oh, I can't it's, remember. It's Peter I, I'm pretty sure it's Peter Davison. Davison, yeah. yeah. Because it's the same episode where he's dangling over the cliff's edge inside the time vortex. Not the time vortex, the time chute that throws people back to H.G. Wells' pad. Anyway. Oh, yeah, I thought, wait, I thought that was Colin Baker. I got confused. I don't know. One of them met him. There we go. Hey. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> so I don't have a lot to contribute about how he was because I don't know him. I, don't, I haven't seen the classics, obviously. However, I thought it was really interesting like how he died. Because I also, like Jim, had I was surprised how long he was in it. I'd sort of remembered that he was like killed off very, very quickly. And so when he came out of the TARDIS and just got shot, I was kind of outraged on his behalf. I was like, I can't believe you're about to kill off the Doctor just in like gang warfare. And he's just going to yes, get exactly. shot. And that's the end of it. Like, that's a terrible death. And I was literally writing down like, this is appalling. And then, yeah, when they kind of stretched it out and it became this like, like the doctor like that we're now going to travel with ends up being the one who kills him but she's like killing him with kindness she's trying to help him i don't know i thought that was a little bit more interesting so i'm glad that they got that extra layer and it wasn't just he was a completely like do you feel that they explored of... that sufficiently though like for example she never apologizes for it or anything like that did, did, yeah do, do you That's feel like true. they did enough well, could they have done more? And if so, what could they have done? Could have slowed the episode down a bit, <laughs> I yeah. think, yeah. frankly. Because yeah. he's right there. He's alive. He's not hammering her over it. No, that's true. So yeah, he's just happy in his new body. And she's like, well, I'd like to learn more. That's how I'll make amends. <laughs> so that yeah. the next time Lord I meet, I'll believe their x-ray printout and won't stick my probe into the vena cava or whatever the hell she does. That looks amazing, by the way. That we whole both... scene was so intense. Oh. When he's in the back of her car and he's pulling the wire yeah. out of his torso. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. yeah. Sweet. That was so good. Buttery Moses, that was good. But in the operating theatre as well. Yes. Yeah, that's, also that in the bot- There's a sound effect as she's pushing it deeper in and she clearly yeah. pierces something. So visceral. And he's like waking up and screaming like, I'm not human. Like imagine being in that scenario and you're a doctor and you're trying to like, you think this patient's dying. I'm trying to save your life here. But for some reason, like the anesthesia's not worked. And now you think that they're also like insane and all these things going on. And she's like, I just need to get this, whatever this thing is into this vein and that will do the trick. And then kills him. Like she'd be so traumatized by that. Yeah, true. Arguably, he could also just as well have been saying, I'm not sedated i am not in a state sufficiently sedated for you to operate upon but there she is wielding a scalpel going i don't care they don't really pause it enough they're just like quick get in the oxygen let me get in it's like can you just wait two minutes and just see it hasn't worked the last two times we try this maybe it worked (laughs) out 
She just yeah, wants to get back to the opera. Be... <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Well, yeah, I don't know. She would be traumatized because she's a heart surgeon. She's seen some shit. She's had every outcome of, of an operation in her time. So, yeah. Like, she channels what could be trauma into trying to make things right. And that's why she doesn't back down when the hospital administrator's being like, I'll do what's best for the hospital. And that's what's driving her there. So, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to squirrel that away under there and say it was all fine. I thought there was a different line there that they could, not line, a different trajectory that they could have taken with with respect to saving the hospital, that she could have been fired rather than quit because the people who are looking from above are the investors. And he's the chap who's showing them around even says, here's the kind of talent that you're paying for. This is what all your money is going towards. I'm, yeah. really, I'm glad that they didn't do that. <laughs> no, the, the line was... Just so that you know your money's being well spent, we'll blast it with lasers. Oh, yeah. Wait, what lasers? <laughs> You're so right. Like, what, what, kind of, what, what lasers are we talking about? But <laughs> we saw nary a laser in this film. But anyway, <laughs> then she kills him accidentally. She, she kills her patient. But the investors know that that happens. So, yeah, I, I felt like that was set up unnecessarily like why are they oh anyway it could have been something else it could have just been the boss or it could have been no one looking down do you know what just that's me? a Maybe really good me. point yeah because he makes a point to be like well no one knows he was here we're gonna burn this x-ray there's no body now murdered the investors <laughs> yeah exactly it's like, yeah what about those they all that fell down a lift shaft <laughs> <laughs> I stowed them away yeah. in the abandoned wing oh yeah <laughs> I love how casually he's like, well, the body's gone now. It's out. It's not our problem anymore. As if like, like if you had someone in your, yeah, if you had someone in your hospital with two hearts and then the body goes missing, wouldn't you be like, oh my God, like the FBI is onto us or something like this isn't clearly an alien and some weird shit is going on. And I don't know. I wouldn't just assume this, whoever body snatches was an accident. (laughs) They just, someone really wanted this old guy and managed to get him out of here with no one seeing. They neither say we've got a real bad body snatching problem. Someone needs (laughs) to put new locks on the morgue door or we did four x-rays of this patient and they all came out double exposed. Maybe we need a new x-ray machine. (laughs) No one says, either of those things they just go business as usual folks <laughs> all right by the way the investors all need heart surgery just work your magic on them as well and we'll have no witnesses <laughs> i i liked that they were involved because a it literally heightened the theater and, yes yeah <laughs> and b i reckon that they're not really there to see an operation they're there just for the tour and to feel important and if you lead them onto the gift shop and you give them a lollipop and some fridge magnets and maybe they can name another ward after them then they'll just go home and forget about it all because they got so much money they don't care evidently not yeah yeah right where 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 to next the fashion oh the fashion yes (laughs) yes Take us there, Marie. Take us there. I just adored, like, her massive, oversized 90s, like, trench coat. It was so perfect. It was like... With those shoulder pads? Yeah, like, every 90s rom-com, just, I don't know why, but the women were always wearing those, and it was brilliant. I loved it. I did not love the master's oversized leather coat, though. That was just ridiculous. Love that as well. (laughs) There's a particular shot 
I think most of most of it was just seen in close up, and it wasn't too obvious. But it was a particular shot, I think, at the uh, atomic clock unveiling event, where you look down at him from a distance, and he's just stood there in this absolute tent of a leather jacket, and it's just like, what the fuck is that? Jim, that's what we wore in the nineties. The bigger, the better. <laughs> Neo wore in the Matrix. That's what Michael no. Ridgeway yeah. wore as he came into this house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. He wore a leather duster and he looked utterly badass. Thanks for listening, Michael. The... <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Eric Roberts' master was at the height of fashion. I have a question about them in that scene where when they're inside the atomic clock event, the unveiling event. Actually, I've got two questions about that. Question one, how did they get into that event? Because we also established that it's difficult to get in. It has an incredibly diligent security guards working. And Holloway, Grace Holloway needs to say who she is, gets her invites. She has a guest. She has a plus one and so on and so forth. And two... Who wants to celebrate New Year's at the unveiling of a new clock? <laughs> no more appropriate time. Oh, it's the, it's the millennium. Yeah. Is, is this just the complete obsession that we had with the millennium in the 90s? Yeah. yeah. We had plenty think... of time to get excited about it. We knew it was coming. It was a decade-long countdown. Yeah, fair. I really love that millennium. Like, all the millennium countdown stuff felt so accurate because that's what it was like. We were all obsessed with You're right. Yes, that is absolutely right. It was the you're biggest so right. party of the century. And yeah, she was, that was just a room full of scientists. They were all like geeking out over this clock, presumably. They loved it. And I think the Master and Lee got in by shooting gunk at people and freezing them. Oh, yes, there were four That's of those lined up. That's so true. Yeah. I forgot about that. Good spots. Yeah. You forgot, and he'll just kill at will. He doesn't care. That's if gunk that freezes gunk. them versus gunk that burns Grace's hand or arm. Yeah. But then Doc says, you're lucky you only got a little bit. Like, I feel like it is meant to do both somehow. But why are the guards not melting? Don't get me wrong. I love every aspect of this bit. But why are the guards not slowly burning away as they're pointing their guns at the camera? Don't know. Because he he gave Grace the slow-acting possession of Venom. Oh, I see. He's got several glands in his snake interior. (laughs) Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on board. At first, by the way, that snake CGI effect, I thought that because it just flashes up on screen as a jump scare initially. And I thought, wow, that's good. Oh, but they showed it so briefly that it's probably not actually that good. And then later, when it pops up by the bed and goes for Bruce, you see much more of it, and it looks just as good. Even the effect that they've put on his mouth or his jaw as it's going in and it's distending his mouth in order to fit is... It's the match of anything in Flux. It's... One of the best snake effects we've had on Doctor Who. Every time we saw his empty jacket rustling and then the ooze would go in. When it went into the sleeve and they inflated the sleeve to make it seem as though it was, oh, wow. Yeah, that might have been, no, no, it doesn't beat my McGann semi. But still, no, it was very nice. (laughs) It was very nice. (laughs) It was a demi semi. (laughs) It was a demi, yeah, you're right. (laughs) Some of those effects coupled with recently mentioned jump scares felt very early Peter Jackson to me, which I also think are around about this era. And I've already mentioned Bilbo Baggins. Yes, you're, you're so right. Yeah, I didn't even make that connection <laughs> myself. It felt very much like that, like the brain dead slash dead alive, that kind of era of film, yeah. bad taste. Where you have Also, by the way, when he's pulling the thing out of his torso, there are some really quick cuts there that felt very like, mm, this is of its time. This is how you deal with gore. 
and you make it, maybe you tone down the age rating on the film by treating it this way, but it's incredibly effective and it's so of its time. Yeah, and the blood isn't flying everywhere, but it's still really shocking. Yeah, and no, the, th- the thing in so his torso. Uh, horrible. So much darker than most Doctor Who has ever been. Well, when he's throwing Grace and she clearly breaks her back her and she everything. lands on the floor. Exactly. No, it's... Ooh. Does he not also take one of the... Not, not pillars. He takes one of the staffs out and just baseball bats dock with it. I think he misses I, I think him, he just, but he tries. Oh, he misses him. Okay. McGann just barely ducks. But Fine, yeah. but he tries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a significant implement he's wielding. The same kind of violence you can see in lots of stuff nowadays, but it's treated very differently. Like the cutting is just, I I couldn't possibly put my finger on exactly how it differs, but there's something about the snap cutting that feels super 90s and slightly more, not child friendly, but sort of adolescent friendly in this violence. Does that make sense? Maybe it doesn't make sense. I didn't feel like any of it was friendly in any way. (laughs) I do, I get what you're saying that it's pushing it a little bit for doctor who but it's not pushing it out the realms of you could sit down there with your slightly older kids and watch it can i talk about a couple of things one which is going to be entirely positive one of which is just a little negative giggle i was wondering when we would get to the negative hey i've thrown some stuff in. <laughs> so yeah another fact actually when he walks through the glass door <gasps> that, was that was so pretty good. gorgeous as well yeah and, and the whole, felt very I think the whole scene too. itself. Yeah. yeah, it was a bit There's a stunning effect. I do think it's slightly weird, though, that this happens to this window at this time. But the entire rest of the world, they're just concerned with, oh, like, the temperature's different for this time of year. Or there was an earthquake somewhere. No one's going, I just fell through my floor. Or my windows are now de-no-clipped. Like, it's this... <laughs> all the parties in high-rises all across America with drunken people falling into formerly solid walls. Exactly. <laughs> oh dear. No I... one's, you know, Greg woke up with his torso sticking out of a wall. There's nothing like that. This only happens here. I took it to be, if you know what's going on, maybe you could push against the wall and you would go through it type thing because he it takes a few goes for him to get through the door he's, he's like kind of showing that it's ma- manipulable manipulate. i mean what he does <laughs> see true. is the molecular structure of the planet is changing that's the quote yeah. that i wrote down the molecular <laughs> structure of the planet is changing that makes me feel like he knows that it is that's why he presses against it but lots of people are leaning against anything lots yeah, of or, stuff or maybe even standing yeah. on the ground exactly that's why i'm saying why is no one falling <laughs> through the floor no, no, no. I think Jim's right. I think it's not just he's leaning on the wall and he falls through it. He actively pushes it. Like, it needs more force from a human or a non-human, in this case, to... Oh, or a half-human. To actually it's like, yeah. yeah. It's like Will with the knife in Dark Materials, maybe. He's, he's kind of, like, feeling his way through the molecules. And it's like, okay, if I put my hand this way, then I'll be able to go through this what was solid surface. Yeah. Or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's a Time yeah. Lord's tender touch. Yeah. Exactly. I've neither read nor seen his dark materials, but it's on you my. I know. Both. I know, Marie. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I will do. I will do both. I will do both. <laughs> okay. The other thing that kind of made me made me giggle a little bit when I realised what had happened was the scene. I mean, actually, the whole chase scene in general was just pants. But which chase scene? When they're on the bike being chased by the ambulance driven by, I think Lee's actually driving, but the master and Lee are chasing them on the motorbike. The amazing tense chase scene. Exactly. That really well-executed chase scene. Two lorries coming before them side by side 
obviously is wide enough that even the ambulance can get through. But we go past that because we just we just we're in it for the entertainment. And then it dawns on you afterwards, every inch of this road that they have been driving on is otherwise empty. The only yep. things that exist on this road with them are those two lorries. Because it's five minutes to midnight and everyone else is at their parties already. Why are they driving side by side? <laughs> like, why isn't at least one other car? Wants- I don't know. <laughs> They're it's, having it's, a race. It's New Year's Eve. They want some company, man. Like, it's just... It's so <laughs> boring out there on the road. Yeah, do you want truckers to spend New Year's Eve on their own? Yeah. This is the only way they can have a party. That one in the outside lane has been trying to overtake the one on the inside lane, inside lane for about 600 miles. It's just like the A34 <laughs> stretched across California. <laughs> I love I mean, that it, chasing. I feel like, <laughs> and like if I was those one of those truckers, I would have just pulled into a layby and I'd just be having a cup of coffee going. No, pulling into the other trucker. Yeah. <laughs> I literally wrote about the chase scene. It's got everything: a car chase yeah. with a motorbike and an ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they're on the railway thought, for a bit, and then they come back up the bank, and then I believe, Jim, there is some more traffic which they have to dodge. The road's not yes. entirely empty. That's exactly right. There's even yeah. I mean, that's a different road. It's, it's it's only empty because there's been a chicken truck crash thing, right? Like that's oh, oh God, no, yeah. that's empty in one direction because of that. That's oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Wait, wait. The, Still, there is. I, I love that. Okay, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna find a point we all agree on is negative. I'm... Can I do it? Okay, you go for it. <laughs> oh, okay. Here we go. I, I'm sorry. I know I said I wouldn't have any negatives, <laughs> but I do have one. <laughs> and I, th- I thought this is what you were gonna say when you brought up the chase scene because it happens during the chase scene, and I wrote it down. I don't, I don't quite understand why it happens here. But for some reason, Grace chooses now to say, I finally meet the right guy, and he's from another yeah. planet. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, why? Why does she say it then? Yeah. I don't, I don't Trailer know. Trailer bank. Yeah, that's chasing exactly bike, right. bike going through trucks, bike going off the road. This is obviously the perfect moment to say a random thing to camera. Yeah, that, it was yeah give, give us a trailer line. That's You're, you're right about that, I think. Yeah. Totally agree, Marie. That is one of incredibly few, if not even the only negative thing about this entire movie. That, that <laughs> is the only. <laughs> it's all I saw that was negative. <laughs> Drew and I both pointed out a different negative thing about this chase sequence, and that was the take the key out of your bike. Now give that key to Doc. Now, Doc, put that key back in the bike. <laughs> <laughs> And ride off on the bike that's just been shot. Exactly. Like, wh- why? Why did that happen? Why wasn't it just, hey, step away from the bike, done? <laughs> this is her first time holding a policeman hostage. She doesn't know what she's doing, okay? She's normally saving true. lives, not putting them at danger. So That is true. That. But this, true. Okay, this is actually probably the biggest negative I have for Grace's arc in this. Because I thought she started off really well. I really enjoyed And I thought I felt like her and McGann got a good rapport going really quickly as well. I was enjoying yeah. watching them together. But then we get this whole bit where she questions whether the doc is insane or not. And it's literally just, I don't know, half a half a line of dialogue after that. And she is pulling a gun against a cop and shooting his bike. She goes from, you're totally insane. I'm going to get you committed to, oh, wait, I totally believe you. I'm just going to shoot this cop car. What the fuck? No, 
what she said. Do we are in a park. We're snogging to, oh, God, you are crazy. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. But is it, if there aren't but cops between... surrounding your flat yet, yeah, Grace, you're lucky. Oh, sorry, Marie. No, wait, hang on. No. When did she pull a gun on him? In the house? No. What are you talking about? No, this, this scene was a like, cop. Like, when yeah, they take cop. the bike. Yeah, isn't isn't in between that, isn't that they're in the ambulance and she sees yeah. the master snake eyes and then that's why she believes him. Yeah, now she believes him. So now she does anything for him. She does yeah. anything for him, which includes taking if, a cop's bike and shooting a, it up. If a, person, Is this if before... a person with two hearts who came back from the dead, who told me that there was a monster that was about to end the world and then I see that monster and then that person says, okay, we got to go and kill that monster or the world is going to end and everyone you know and love is going to die. I think I'd, hmm. I think I'd go for it. On New Year's yeah, Eve, with the millennium happening around you. <laughs> it just felt yeah, like a little possible. bit of Literally. just flipping and flopping, and it just didn't quite... It wasn't a smooth transition into your crazy, and then out of your crazy, oh, oh no, shit, the world's gonna win. No, I think at this point, she still thinks he's crazy, but she's like, I can't take the risk. If the world does end and I don't do anything, then... I gotta, I gotta jump on board with the crazy and see how where it goes. Yeah, crazy like a fox, and he's just saved yeah. my life. Exactly, exactly, and he's really hot, and he can walk through. He, walls. He's, it's been really interesting, and everything's cool, and the world is different to the one that I, I thought was the only reality available. No, Doc, why don't you stay here with me? Okay, no, go off on your adventures. I'll stay here. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Okay, maybe there's two negatives. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Damn it. Yeah. They're sort of 0.5 negative each. So okay, I think we're yeah. fine. Okay, yeah. Fine. Sure. Good. All right. Okay. Let me... I've got a question. I've just got to... Oh, go for it. Oh, oh you got a question. No, go for... no, I've been I've been hogging the questions. Go for it. Okay. Why do they have until midnight? The, the clock. It's the atomic clock. What? Why is that the deadline? Like, what? what, what why am I the only one who thinks well, this? No, no, he's, he's not the only one who thinks this. The, the doctor assumes they have until midnight. Yeah. Just because it's the soonest significant time juncture. But but yeah. when they get to the TARDIS and they're 11.48 and it's the Eye of Harmony, he's like, oh, we're too late. He yeah. made a misassumption. So he didn't have till midnight. He was just lazy with his guesswork. He is just that, thought, he just so? thought midnight's poetic. Yeah, he, he was like counting down to midnight because he loves a countdown and, the, oh, look, all the fireworks are going to go off and I'll save the world at the same time. And then, and then he, yeah, he didn't. So I, th- I thought ego. this was a slightly missed opportunity in that they need to go to the atomic clock to retrieve one part of it to fix the TARDIS. The atomic clock was meant to start working at midnight, and it was a missed opportunity to say the only thing that's required for the Eye of Harmony to latch on to some kind of energy in order to then finally destroy the earth is some kind I, I can't remember what the technical term was that they used for the atomic clock it was a beryllium atomic clock. beryllium that was that's that was the term i feel like that's that could have that's just me okay fine uh, I, I thought that that was a missed opportunity they could have said well is there any kind of beryllium clock going off anytime soon yeah at the stroke of midnight right well we have until midnight to do this because after that there's no turning back i think it's an utterly seized opportunity and i think it does it better than the eve of the daleks for instance which i was prepared to hand wave because that was a festive episode but there's no reason that should end at midnight and actually ends up ending at midnight and this one doesn't end up ending at midnight and so i have all the more respect for it i was thinking of you drew when they were doing all the midnight countdowns and she has 30 seconds left and it took so long it may have come up as we were watching it yeah i assume it may have gone down (laughs) yeah 
Okay, can I point out something that I really liked? The master correcting Grace's grammar. (laughs) (laughs) That was nice. Didn't we turn to one another and say plus point one in unison pretty much? Ish, yeah, Yeah. more or less. That was a very nice moment. Wait, I can't remember what what was it? She says, as good as me, and he goes, as As well well. as you. Yeah. But he he has some other, I can't remember what the other thing is, but there's something else that he also corrects her on. No, you're right. That was very nice. There was a lot of really charming moments in this. Yeah, incredibly charming. He puts down Lee a couple of times when Lee's driving the ambulance. And Lee says, you kill me. And he's like, do you want me to kill you? <laughs> oh, yeah. He's just ready. Just say the word. I, th- I think he <laughs> asked that with like genuine surprise. He's like, you want me to kill you? As though I'm planning to, but do you actually, like, would you welcome that? It- no, that kind of takes the fun out of it a bit. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't expecting this. This makes it way easier than I thought it would be. <laughs> I have a question, which Mm. probably doesn't matter on the face of it. But this Eye of Harmony business, it is said by the Doctor like it's not opened in 700 years or something like that. And the Master explains how he managed to get it to open was he used a human. And Doc is only half human, so it would never have done it for him. But why the fuck would the Eye of Harmony open for humans? What is the point of that? Yeah, you asked this as well, Drew, at the yeah. time. I can only assume that actually it was originally his maternal grandmother's TARDIS. Oh, and she was nice. fully human and it's set to open to her retinal code or whatever. Retinal, but, I mean, it, retinal recognition. It sort of seems like this isn't something that you're meant to open. Like, it seems like the password is grab a human. <laughs> it just seems a bit weird. Maybe it was an error. Maybe they just made it like oh, a Time Lord can't open this, and then they forgot about humans, and then the Master just found a loophole. Hmm. Maybe. I, I think... I, I think Drew's onto, onto something no, here. I, I don't, don't think, think it, I am. I, I don't think it's a grandmother, because... <laughs> It's the mother who is human, not the grandmother. Who's... On his mother's side. Yeah, but he's not saying my mother was half human. He's saying I'm half human on my mother's side. Oh, so she must have been. Probably. So I think the mother is human. And I think you're right. If this had then continued, there would have been more story lent to the TARDIS itself. We should talk about oh, the TARDIS, maybe. by the way. Yeah, I can see that being the case. This is his mum's TARDIS. But or I kind of there's don't... others, whatever else. His I mum don't was really the only want one. to be right in that way because A, I don't want him to be half human and B, I still fall down where Jim is on this. Like, it's dumb. New Who has latched on to some of the aspects of what is revealed in this particular movie, but not him being half human. Why cherry pick some elements of what is and what isn't? I mean, I do look at New Who as just they they were doing something new. I, I, was, I was actually trying to find out if like the movie is meant to be canon. And most people say there's no such thing as canon in Doctor Who. Like, no one has ha- ever had a position of authority and said this is canon and this isn't. This seems to be the consensus anyway. So you can say what's canon. And I think New Who just picked some bits here and there. They've obviously been inspired by all of the material they had available. And I guess there were there were bits of this that they liked and bits of it they didn't, which presumably was the half-human thing. Although I sort of vaguely feel like that has come up in New Who. I can't remember for the life of me how and where. It was during one of Capaldi's series where he was talking himself up as the hybrid. And we thought, oh, is this a callback to being half-human, half-time lord, hybrid in that way? But uh, then it turned okay. out not to be that anyway, so... I would suggest that the Morbius Doctors weren't canon for blooming ages, and now suddenly they are canon again, thanks to the Timeless Child. So 
There's plenty of time for things to be rewritten ad infinitum. I've just looked up the Night of the Doctor transcripts, and I mean, that very clearly establishes the Eighth Doctor as the Eighth Doctor. Paul McGann was the Eighth Doctor, but when he mentions a whole bunch of companions at the end, he doesn't mention Grace. Oh! So maybe uh. that means Grace wasn't a companion, or well, it means the Eighth him. Doctor... Exactly. So maybe it means the Eighth Doctor is canon, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Another thing that's kind of kept from this film later on is I'm pretty sure this is the first cloister bell. We get to see the cloister yeah, room. Life. Again, we should talk the about the TARDIS interior, but like in, in general, like we get that. That is now an established part of New Who, but the rest of it isn't. Anyway, it, maybe it's a superfluous question because someone at the BBC went, no, of course he's not half human. Like, why would we entertain that? A lot of people but, did that, I think, had that reaction. And these questions of what is and isn't canon inevitably if you spend too long on them someone disappears up their own arsehole and nobody cares so that's sort of where i am with it the master is after regenerations hmm. why can't he just snake into someone else he does he well, snakes into bruce but yeah. bruce's body is falling apart as it, as it does so right? why can't he just snake into someone else before it does why can't he snake into lee just keep snaking or, on and exactly on. that's it no way as, to live it seems as though he doesn't actually need regenerations he can just live forever if yeah. he just snakes from person to person but i feel like he doesn't have like his when he was at the end when he was like being revived looking into the eye or well, however it happened it felt like he was more himself yeah maybe he's in this like kind of half-life he's like voldemort he's just like he's got like a half-life but he needs to be made whole again i mean ignoring I that was a, i'm sorry leap, ignoring leaping around skeletal man from later on in new who like <laughs> this is the most powerful master i've, I've come across his abilities are insane <laughs> like yeah, just stay Snake Man and go from body to body because it seems to work for you, dude. Yeah, and he loves killing. Oh, I do like me a bit of killing, yeah. Shall we talk TARDIS interior? Yeah, go on. Which bit do you love the most? Come on, Leon. Every single bit of it. I'll tell you which bit you love the most based on your reaction as we watched it together. <laughs> It was when they were in the cloister room and then the domed ceiling sort of cleared and became a window on the universe. And you just went, oh, yeah, that's a stunning effect that that puts the what, what I can't remember what it's called now. The not the monitor, the scanner, the TARDIS scanner. It puts the scanner to shame. The scanner just being a glorified <laughs> TV set on the wall looked absolutely the amount of attention and the scope of this TARDIS was mind-blowing to me hmm. it's beautiful it looks like a home it looks exactly like you said like bilbo's retirement flat it, this is a place where someone lives and doesn't get bored with it because it's so vast utterly stunning i think i said the first time we were led into the cloister room and nice direction by the way to just have it slowly open up and you take in the vast scope of it in stages over a few seconds I think my words were along the lines of this is the TARDIS I've been waiting for and the way it should be treated. Yeah. And what a shame we only got to see this one once. Mm. I know. Yeah. This is much grander than previous classic Doctor's TARDISes. They're basically oh, just God, yeah. really nice looking spaceships. This is yeah, a that, castle. They were just white rooms with the console. Like, I don't think anyone had a fancy TARDIS at all, did they? Were like with 
Do you know what? Oh, do you thing. know what this reminds me of, though, Jim? A cereal that you and I reviewed. I, now I can't remember what the cereal was called, but the Rani's Tardis, the Rani's first Tardis, anyway, which also was. It had stone walls. It looked very, oh, yeah. very much like a medieval castle, and it was clearly a place where an intellectual, or at the very least, a scientist, lived and worked. She had little plinths with specimen jars on it, or something like that. Was it? Like, all yeah, exactly, because she was into biology and chemistry. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Can I just um, say a theory? Because we brought up the Rani, and I don't know if I have any time left to say this before rtd's new series drops i don't know this, we're entering the end of the podcast potentially there's some drag personality who's been cast right as a villain in the new series oh i don't know about villain but yes i believe it's a villain my guess is rani i'm saying it now oh you think so i'm putting it out there i got everything right about the power of the doctor i'm calling rani <laughs> this is a different kind of episode commentary but i've seen a picture of their outfit have you seen that no i haven't is it rani-esque oh dear no have i spoken it is very <laughs> i think they're gonna be the host or owner of some kind of bar or club because oh. they're wearing everything that they're wearing is somehow musically themed i'm pretty sure that there's either a waistcoat or a tie that has piano keys on it for example so i think that's what this that's about. oh okay sure done my research never mind but that's all I know. I don't Can't know if, uh, if this is a villain character or... Uh, yeah, anyway, I have no idea. Mm. Uh, am I the only one who had other TARDIS interior uh, thoughts? Anything else on the thoughts TARDIS? slash envy. Uh, yeah, anything, anything about the TARDIS? You pointed out the lock, for example, as that was being revealed. Didn't that look amazing? Yeah, the way the TARDIS key it won't fit in a Yale lock, so the Yale lock just swings to the side, oh. and then there's a much bigger keyhole behind yes. it. I loved it. Stunning. There were loads of little touches in this film. Loads of them. Far too many. I didn't take any notes, because it would have taken me six hours to pause and unpause it. It's great. The scene of a motorbike driving into the TARDIS. Ah! Look around, wait for it. Motorbike right, right back out of it. Hilarious. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. I, th- I thought that was really interesting, actually, because that's so that's like Grace's first intro to the TARDIS. So before she goes inside, she kind of already has a clue that it's going to be bigger because the whole motorbike went in and disappeared. Like you could hear it getting further away. So like maybe that explains why she doesn't have the big reveal of like, oh, it's bigger on the inside. And she's a feisty, no-nonsense 90s modern career woman. Yeah. On the subject of the motorbike, when we reviewed Day of the Doctor, was it that? And Clara rode the motorbike in and we all fell over ourselves marvelling at how cool it was. It's been done here already. Yeah, (laughs) you're right. (laughs) That and the scene where the TARDIS, it doesn't materialise around Lee, but it it looks like it's materialising around him. It turns out it's materialising right in front of him. But that saving a companion moment we've also seen that in new who as you say done before done right here yeah so why wasn't this a success what it, it, clearly it speaks to something in the in the universe in the whovian personality something resonates with them because it resonates later on like a decade later it works for everyone so why isn't it working here Bill, in any theories i mean I, i'm obviously being the more negative voice here but i think it does work for what it is but perhaps this is seven years after the classic series has finished and Mm. up to that point it's been a very different type of experience like it's only really the last series or series and a half with Sylvester McCoy we get a hint of a taste of a possibility of the way that New Who is going to evolve 
And that's true. Yeah. This film is then is is bridging the gap a little bit, but it's way more on the new who side than on the classic side. So maybe it was a a bit too soon or a bit too different. It is upping the gore level. It's a PG fourteen effectively, I guess. Which Doctor Who didn't start that way. It started for everyone to watch and even be educated by. I don't know. Maybe it just pushed things too many things in too many different directions away from what Doctor Who was, and so everyone's coming with preconceptions and going, "This isn't Doctor Who." And maybe the romance as well, like because yeah. now we're so used to that with New Who that it doesn't really feel super out of place. But I remember like the first like kiss between like Rose and the Doctor and, and like hating it and be like, oh, that's the worst thing. Like that's not the Doctor. Mm-hmm. And so if this was the first like showing of that, maybe everyone hated that so much that it kind of clouded everything else. I don't know. Yeah. Very possible, yeah. But I think you're right, Jim. Yeah. I think it's just too too much too soon. And like now you see it within the context of New Who and it all kind of fits in and makes sense. But yeah, maybe at the time it didn't. I think Jim's really onto something because the ratings went so far down from like Tom Baker's heyday by the time Sylvester McCoy's run came along that we talked about it in the Seventh Doctor retrospective. People could poke fun at Doctor Who based on myths that were 10 years out of date, like the Daleks can't climb stairs it's just silly frivolity and there's no darkness to it at all. So probably people gave it another chance in the middle of the 90s, not having watched it for 15 years. And they didn't realize that it wasn't that different from what it had become. But it was so, such a another show from what they remembered that, yeah, they would have taken exception to a bunch of different things. And maybe that combines with a certain British parochialism, which given the US-UK co-production, if people don't like what they see, they can react against it and be like, oh no, it's all Americanized, it's all dark and gritty and horrible, and it's not the fun, plummy, silly thing it used to be when John Pertwee was driving Bessie around. And it's, no, actually, we were getting there already. But that raises another question, I think, and that is, is this made for an American audience or a British audience? Are they trying to true. make this a success across uh, the pond mm. or are they trying to make a success on both sides? Or is this just a, hey, let's reboot this in the UK. Look how progressive and cool we are. We're doing that same thing that Hollywood does. We're in the US. I did find it really telling the amount of times that she introduced him as like the doctor from London, like the British doctor. Like every time a new person came along, she really drove home that like he's not from here, which I found really yeah. Uh, And the the Todd is materializing in front of a Visit London poster, which is hilarious, by the way, and looks really nice. But that's mad. And everything else about this episode is so incredibly American, by which I mean 90s television America as perceived by people not in America, because I don't know what the US was in the 90s. But this is exactly what I perceived America as in the 90s. It's just lots of action, lots of people in gangs, people running down alleys. We both went, oh yeah, of course, at the end of the alley, there's a fence and you have to climb over it or jump <laughs> yeah. over it. Like That's what happens in every single movie in the 90s in the US. <laughs> so very clearly, this is set there. The odd thing out, the odd factor out, is that the American companion doesn't remain with a doc at the end. Because if you're trying to sell this to an American audience, mm. this is your chance at having an audience representative traveling with the protagonist and you're choosing actively to reject that option i guess did they know at this point that they like weren't gonna continue it they didn't have a series planned so maybe they i don't know knew it was always gonna be a standalone thing 
but that's the weird thing. So let's say that we treat this as a pilot. We make this film, and if the if the film is really successful, we'll either make more films or we'll build a TV reboot around it. Are you now building a TV reboot for an American audience or for a British audience? Because you set it up, and the pilot was successful in the US. Maybe they'll try to have their cake and eat it too and bring back Perry with her famously good American accent. You know what? I had forgotten about Perry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can yeah. only assume this was aiming at America, or yeah, or it's same. just they simply they didn't care. It's just this is a way to get a Doctor Who piece done. It it didn't have to be a movie, it didn't have to be a series. It just had to be something. Someone wanted to make some Doctor Who stuff. This was the way to get it done. It was get funding from an American studio, set it in America, but it's still Doctor Who. This was our opportunity to do it. I don't know. Maybe they didn't really have a big plan. That was that was it. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. There would have been people for and against it, even in within the giant behemoth of the BBC, wouldn't they? They were clearly desperate to get it back on air. Some people, John Nathan Turner, you know, they did Dimensions in Time as the 30th anniversary Children in Need special. They combined it with these standards to get the biggest possible audience. Like, they wanted to keep the awareness alive. They knew there was a fan base there, but there, were, there also wasn't enough willingness in the BBC to do something like this on their own. The higher-ups would have said, yeah, we'll let you co-fund your little vanity pet project with Fox. Get them to put up most of the money, and then if it reaches this really high bar of like 15 million universal adoration, then maybe we can talk. It didn't, so they let it die again, would be my yeah. surmisal. All the valid theories, yeah. While we were talking, I was reminded of the weird vibe I got on occasion watching this. Which was, there has obviously been a lot of New Who set in America. There was that whole series with Smith, wasn't it, where it was basically set in America. Yeah, that's right. But the one one that kept jumping out in my head was Dr. Mysterio. What is it about? Is there something (laughs) about that that really fit with this vibe? Did anyone else get that? I I know what you mean, I think. Yeah, because I didn't, but I'm willing to hear it. It's that sort of... I can't really put my finger on it, but it's that feel of styrofoam Americana. Of This is not quite America. This is just the pastiche of America as made by someone outside of it. I think it is that, you're right. And I think as well, there was... Weren't they sneaking into some facility that could have easily been the place where this atomic clock was being... Yeah, a great big science facility. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. that's true. There's that as well. We get that in a few other ones as well. We get that in the one with Mark Gatiss as well, and that's super duper mega English, where he's a weird... The Lazarus experiment. That's the one. Vorm. Yeah. Barf. Any final points? Yeah, Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah, I've got a couple of questions. I've got a question for you, Drew. How do you feel about Audio McGann compared to TV McGann? Well, this is baby nascent McGann, isn't it? Is it the same McGann, Doctor? I also started reviewing this after JD stopped. So he had done about, well, 18 Eighth Doctor Adventures and countless main ranges by this point. So he would have had years to bed in and frankly age a bit he wasn't a puppy when we were listening to him there was one point wasn't there near the end where he was operating the tardis console and i'm like oh mcgann's arrived the eighth doctor is here but we only saw like a minute of that so yeah it's it's quite a gap to bridge fair enough in in some listen to the eighth doctor adventures and our reviews thereof anyone got any final points how much do you think maynards or bassett's paid to sponsor this movie Oh, for the Jelly Babies? The Jelly Babies, every two minutes. 
Jelly baby, jelly baby, jelly baby. Did you know the doctor likes jelly babies? Did you know every American would love a jelly baby? I bet they booked out the, all the ad breaks in America for fruit salads, blackjacks, jelly babies, jelly babies, jelly babies. Yeah, that's, there was quite a lot of it. There was a chunk of, I mean, it goes into the fan service category, doesn't it? And there's a chunk of fan service that, again, like I wonder whom it's for. Because, of course, the fans will also watch this movie, but lots of other people will, will watch it and not understand any of that fan service. They won't get the jelly babies the same way that they won't get the the scarf in the locker room scene. They won't get any of those Yeah. What the hell is a sonic screwdriver? What's exactly. a fob watch? We're not going to set any of it up. We're just going to mention it. I guess the jelly babies maybe get a little bit more attention. Yeah, I don't know. I liked it. The the Sonic know. screwdriver is very interesting because I forget when it was it was J and T that hated it and canned it, but that was frigging years before yes. this. Like there must be multiple people that watched this film who had seen some Doctor Who, felt like they had grown up with Doctor Who, who would not have a clue what a Sonic screwdriver was. And I mean, is that so essentially weird. Tom Baker's screwdriver? Is that what that is? Is it? I don't know what they all look like, to be honest. But I, well, I don't know. Like, who's when was the screwdriver written out of the show? I feel like I should know this now, but when did J and T cancel the screwdriver? I feel like it could have been with Davison, maybe. Yeah, so maybe. Davison. Maybe Baker was the last one. I'm not sure. Yeah, written out in 1982. Oh, wow. <laughs> I think the third and the fourth Doctors, like, the, they're the ones that had it a lot. And then that's why JNT got pissed off with it and took it away. <laughs> it was like it became a crutch. I have a, re- a very tenuously related question about the Doctor's appurtenances and powers. Mm-hmm. In this film, McGann talks to people and knows their own personal futures. Like, he talks to Malcolm in the Middle, security guard at the ITAR Institute, and is like, don't answer the third question, answer the second question that appears harder and you'll get a better result. He's almost omniscient if you extrapolate that out. He does it to a couple of people. Has the Doctor ever done stuff like that before? I don't think he's ever done that to anyone who isn't of historical significance. There isn't a, oh, well, he'll grow up. Oh, you know his first name. His, he is a famous person with said first name. Who will grow up to invent the insert device here <laughs> or discover the whatever it is, you know? Yeah, I don't know. They, they invented the butt plug. The what now? The insert device here. Oh, get your head out of the gutter. <laughs> Sorry. No, <laughs> no, no it, I, I don't think he's ever done that with people. You're absolutely right. Like, I don't think that he's ever been portrayed as just bumping into someone in the street and going, I know every human there is, and this is what happens to you. Yeah, I didn't like that, to be honest, that detail. Because it, it just feels like Groundhog Day dialed up to yeah, you're every, right. everyone oh, in the universe. Yeah. It's just That's just yeah, agreed. even for a Time Lord. And that completes our roster of 90s films. <laughs> this yeah. film has <laughs> taken off every single there one of go. them. <laughs> perfect place to start rounding it off any other final words before we jump into some kind of numerical rating for this anything you want to get off your chest no that's the only word i had left <laughs> <laughs> and now it is time to rate this did we laugh or hate this bing bong bing bong hey la 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 ratings well this is the r minis section of this podcast episode i supremely lost the finger on tip of nose game. <laughs> so I'm going first. I don't mm-hmm. have a lot of notes here, so I might waffle a bit. Apologies. 
I guess my overall feeling of the movie is it's set the tone incredibly well for New Who. I didn't realize, I thought this was a bit more standalone than it has appeared on a further watching. You can see things left, right and center where New Who writers, directors, whoever looked at this and went, yep, we'll have some of that, please. Oh, and a little soup song of that. And yeah, they'll sprinkle <laughs> on a bit of this little bit over here as well. I think, as we said before, maybe this is why it struggled, because it doesn't transition as smoothly from classic. Like, we've just finished reviewing the classic era. We've just had a Seventh Doctor retrospective. The Seventh Doctor is in this, but it doesn't feel quite like the same thing, which I guess maybe that's where I held a little bit of negativity in, in watching it, and I wasn't quite on board for the ride at all times. I think if you probably watched it without too much of like fresh knowledge of the classic era and i mean literally having watched it like the week before or whatever maybe you get a little bit more enjoyment i don't know maybe i should do that sometime but yeah it's a really nice production the effects are incredible i'm so impressed that they held up after what are we into nearly 30 years jesus i know it's mad yeah they did i think it quite well i assume it wasn't a massively high budget because it's still doctor who after all it's obviously a higher budget than classic whoever was going to get a hint of like they just get the scrapings left over from a production like this maybe they get to borrow one of their sets who knows but yeah <laughs> this they get to do locations they get to make incredible TARDIS interiors they get to play all this computer graphics and for the most part yeah it all was gorgeous I think the only thing in the production that actually I saw as a negative was when the master is made to look a bit kind of withered towards the end. It was so obvious that the makeup was just like 2D trying to make it look 3D. And they did some close-ups to his face that unfortunately looked quite <laughs> abysmal, where it's just like, oh, here's a line oh, here. No. From a distance, this looks like shadow and wrinkles and stuff. It's like, yeah, from a distance. Stay away from... The yeah. Anyway. Uh, the... Wrapping up the kind of like, it doesn't quite feel like Doctor Who, particularly the classic era. There's a weird setup of Lee and Grace as being kind of like companions. Like at the start of a new Doctor's run in the series, you would meet some people and they would turn out to be the companions. Maybe you even meet them first. I think we've had that a couple of times. I think Tegan is the one that jumped into my head. Like, I think she starts the episode. And we have a lot of time with Grace and Lee. And it's very frustrating that they don't turn into companions at the end. I'm not sure if they would be perfect companions. I think Grace would be a very good companion. I think that would have been a really interesting series to see. But yeah, it just fits into this whole question of what is this movie trying to be? I'm not sure if it stands alone on its... It stands enough on its own. It's leaning heavily on all of the classic nostalgia and stuff in a lot of respects. It's trying something new, which obviously they knew who went and picked up on and then enjoyed, but just watching it on its own. I don't know if it's enough on its own. I'm just not quite sure. But yeah, there's some great acting in here. There's some terrible acting here. The interplay between Eight and Grace, I think, is really nice. Although, and I really enjoyed Grace as a character, although her story went a bit wobbly for me in the middle a little bit. Fair enough. The, the master is super evil, and I frigging adore that. He's just not quite the master, but if I push that to a side, yeah, he's, he's a great villain, particularly for a 90s movie. Ticks a lot of cliche boxes, spits on a lot of people, whatever. I've written a number down. Fuck knows where I plucked it out from. I'm just going to say it's a 3.5. Oh, okay. That's that's a reasonably high mark, I think. Well, I think yeah. respectable. I enjoyed yeah. watching it. 
did you add point one as oh. you were saying your score? It sounded like you were about to say three point four. I will show you the writing on the screen, which I've not <laughs> no, edited. You didn't edit three point five. Okay. <laughs> oh, fabulous, Marie! I believe uh, you're next in the fingertip on tip of nose league. You're absolutely right. I was, and I will. Yeah. So, my review. What is there to say? I thoroughly enjoyed this film. I was full on riding the nostalgia train of 30 years ago, 90s films. I think you're right. I think you have a point that it's easier to come at it from with like fresh eyes, having not have the kind of history of the classics building into it. And yeah, it was, it feels really... Like a lot of things in this felt like they were referencing the doctors that I know from New Who. And then actually it's the other way around. I just happened to have watched them in the wrong order this time. But yeah, it was beautiful all around, beautiful sets. I really loved the coziness of the TARDIS, I think really got me. Like there were just candles every single place you look. And it just felt <laughs> like a place you really wanted to spend time in. As obviously opposed to like the more kind of stark New Who and classic Who's where you just want to get out of there and get adventuring. It really felt like I could spend time in the TARDIS with the Doctor. Yeah, and Gra- Grace just 10 out of 10 for everything. Like, her entrance, like, running through the corridors in the beautiful ball gown was incredible. And we've already talked about how great she was throughout. But I also forgot that kind of at the end as well, the, the like, twist when she tur- like she turns to look at him and she has the blacked out eyes and she's, like, been taken over by the Master. I did not see that coming. I literally mm. gasped. Oh, yes. Like, that was so well done. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And then I love it that she's the one who saves him at the end. Like, she's not the damsel waiting to be rescued. She's the one who, like, when the Doctor's in need, she goes and figures out how to hotwire a TARDIS. And so it was very cool to see her in all of that. The only downsides of this for me are about Grace, though. And we already explored them. The one was the line that I already said that felt really cheesy and corny when Mm. she was on the motorbike. The second one, I've decided not to count against her, actually, because if the only problem I have with her is that I would have wanted her to continue, then, I don't know, I can forgive that. Like, I would have just liked to see more of her. That's that's that was my only complaint. Like she should have she should have said yes and gone with him. But I don't think that's her fault. I think you're right. Maybe it was a pilot, and maybe if she'd have been the super popular character, they would have figured out a way to like budget and bring her back anyway. But yeah, I think she would have been a great companion. As with Lee, I think you would have seen a lot more growth maybe with Lee because he started out this like street kid with a heart of gold. I think we would have got more like with him. a bag of gold and this bag of gold. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, and everything everything that you said that you liked Jim, I agree with. Like the master was amazing. Yeah, he was he was very dark, but I loved that. I like a really cutthroat master. Why not? So yeah, so all in all, cracking entertainment all round. Would watch it again in a heartbeat. I'm gonna give it a four point nine. Whoa! (gasps) (laughs) Oh, Grace, if you hadn't said that one dumb line. I had my fire panel ready to go. Amazing. Oh, wow. Wowzers. Holy smokes. It was such a fun hour and a half. Like, I I loved it. I had so much fun. I was grinning from ear to ear for, like, the most part. It, like, yeah, it elicited some emotional responses from me. So, what more can you ask for? Very good. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Oh, brilliant. Well done. Drew? Yeah, I'll go next if you like. 
I heartily enjoyed watching it. I am so glad I came this evening at least twice. I turned to you, Leon, at one point, at 40 minutes in, and I said, this has pretty much all been excellent. I think there were maybe two minutes out of the first 40 where the quality really dipped. He was in the abandoned wing. There were a couple of moments that were perhaps out of place. But a wah wah moment that really works. I want to call out DJ Jackson. Give the Oscar to G- DJ Jackson, the guy who played the black security guard, who was utterly <laughs> stony-faced and impassive as everybody else is losing their freaking minds as the millennium changes. And he's just... Having the worst New Year's ever. <laughs> what? He might be having the best New Year's ever, but you just can't tell with that guy. I blimmin' loved the <laughs> quick flick back to that. There was loads of little moments that this film didn't need, but that it had. There was real love put into this. I loved all Sly McCoy's material. It was as pleasantly surprising as it was traumatic and harrowing. I didn't know he stayed this long either. He was, he was in this more than John Bishop was in The Power of the Doctor, for goodness sake. One point I'll make is the last thing I watched was actually a classic. It was The Curse of Fenric, based on Nicholas Parsons being in it, and we talked about it in our seventh Doctor retrospective. I even watched the extended special edition, where they put back in the proper transitions, about 10 minutes of material, gave it extra time to breathe. And although I thought that serial was very good, it didn't flow nearly as well as this did. This was a film. That was a choppy mishmash of filmed content but here the direction it was film level it, we never said it. it was directed by jeffrey Sachs. it was written by matthew jacobs matthew jacobs does seem to be an american writer he mostly worked on the adventures of young indiana jones it seems like he did a bunch of that he had a hand in the emperor's new groove even so yeah i guess we did hand it over to america to a certain degree but i didn't feel like it had been written by an american because it was so chock full of doctor who paraphernalia and stuff including second act wibbles and third act action wobbles very true to the genre but it was still well above average it exceeded my every last expectation I liked how Grace got to play a pivotal role in saving the Doctor. Very new Who companion. Talked about Ace. Does Ace plus Grace equal Rose? Maybe. But people can't understand why she didn't go and travel with him. Maybe even a hyper-modern 90s woman who can have it all isn't ready to have this become her life immediately. Maybe she needs to go and sit down for a minute, although where, I know not. (laughs) And looking back on it now, maybe we're disposed to see it more kindly because Doctor Who invented reboots, but we've had so many more by this point. We've had the pilot, we had a Capaldi reboot, we've had Jodie. It's just about to get rebooted again with Disney Plus about to throw their money behind it. So maybe we're just more amenable to American involvement after all those reboots and years of US streaming services and cultural takeover. So I don't want to go, I'm torn. I don't want to get all giddy and give it a crazy high rating, although it's really good. And I don't want to, oh, I don't know. Marie and Leon said it. It's an engrossing 19s time capsule. It's the only substantial piece of televised Doctor Who we got in the 90s it's a valuable historical artifact as well as a really good way to spend 85 minutes so i started looking at the new who ratings for a clue of what to give this and then i went to the classic ones because i wasn't sure which list i should be looking at and in my mind it went up by about 1.0 what does that say about my snobbishness so i'll add 0.5 to what was a pretty good score and say 4.3 
Ooh, nice. 4.3. Oh, solid mini. Holy smokes. Solid minis. Oh, three fabulous minis. Cripes, Aroonies. Overall, so far, doing pretty well. 3.5, 4.9, 4.3. All right, cool. Right, I'm last up. And uh, I will start by saying that I had blissfully forgotten this film in its entirety. I only say blissfully because this enabled me to fully adore this unremitting tour de force anew. (laughs) I I was picturing something very sort of distastefully kitschy before going into this film. Something along the lines of Inspector Space Time. It's kind of Doctor Who, but it's also very American. And will it understand all the sensibilities of the BBC? Yada, yada, yada. But in actual fact, this film has, I maintain, greater reboot potential than Rose. And it's charming on every level. I think I agree with all three of you on on some of those points. I'm in no way trying to poo-poo Eccleston or RTD or the 2005 reboot. I'm just saying that McGann is is absolutely terrific as this sort of carte blanche doctor. He's starting anew. He's he's doing his own thing. He's charming, he's mad, he's ethically sound, more or less. He's gradually turning clever as the film, as the story progressive, also more lucid. And uh, yeah, it was just mentioned. Sly McCoy is in this as well, way more than I expected as well. And he's, he does an incredibly good job. Grace Holloway, so much more interestingly set up than most new companions. There's tremendous companion potential there. It's a bit of a shame that she doesn't stay on. Obviously a shame that that there isn't a McGann era. Eric Roberts, off the charts, madcap, Hilaria Lloyd. I can 100% picture him later on making a return in a future McGann season. I was led to believe Eric Roberts would be unremittingly shit. Same. Most of this film was meant to be shit in my full recollection of it. But in actual fact, Eric Roberts, along with much of the rest of it, absolutely holds up. Mm. To be fair, the plot makes very little sense, but who cares? It's sensational. All ancillary characters, by which I mean Lee, Will Sasso, the lady who doesn't immediately barf when Eric Roberts pulls off her <laughs> fingernail, all fabulous. <laughs> Production value off the charts. The TARDIS is stunning. Marie, you said it's super well, and you said it's a place that you want to spend time in. I couldn't agree more. I want to be in that TARDIS. I spend years in it. I'm only rating this story down for all the missed opportunities. For example, McGann says, when I die, I can transform into another species. Maybe that's something that could have been explored a little bit more. For example, is that why the master is now a snake? Like, there's Ah. more that could be said about that. You know what I mean? The fingernail thing in the first place, shouldn't the master be disintegrating over the course of this story? Otherwise, why is he in such a rush? And obviously, Grace staying behind and this being a standalone as opposed to the start of something grand and, and wonderful. Anyway, solid. I love this film. I can't wait to rewatch it. I've given it 4.5. I thought wow. I thought I was going to give it the highest Ooh. rating of, of the lot of us, but nope, not at all. <laughs> yeah. You know what it feels like? It feels like the tango and cash of Doctor Who. Does that make sense? It's fun. It's kind of a buddy cop thing. It's yeah. madcap. It's action-packed. It's very American. It's pretty awesome. I love tango and cash. It's great. <laughs> Your review has just made me realize, Leon, that we didn't even really talk about how good like McGann was as the Doctor, because I think I just took it for granted that he <laughs> is the Doctor. <laughs> and he was like, I know. Like normally we would dissect his performance, but we didn't. And then that reminded me of another moment that I meant to mention in my review and I forgot about, but the scene where he's like with Grace and he's remembering who he is and they're surrounded by the lights in the trees. And they finally have their kiss or whatever. 
but he mentions a moment on Gallifrey. It was like I was lying in the grass with my father, looking up into the stars, watching yeah. the meteors, like a meteor storm, all the different colours. And it was so beautiful and heartwarming. And I feel like I've got like goosebumps just remembering it. Like it was such a, yeah, it's just, he's such a charming doctor. Like you can't help but love him. And I would love to see more of him. Just go back in time and make some more. I think, I know. I mean, imagine if this is the thing that he went off to produce at the end of Withnell and I. Well, they're like, did you get the part? Like, no, they want me to play the lead. Like, hell yeah, they do. (laughs) He's now the doctor. (laughs) Sorry, Jim, I totally talked over you there. What was that? No, I was just going to say, like, I think this is, maybe there's a little bit of a problem with doing a film full stop, but a slight problem with this film is that was like the, like, quintessential moment, I feel like, of him being the doctor. He was, he was getting to monologue a little bit but also he does the eccentric thing where it suddenly turns his excitement into his new shoes. Like his shoes are, are working really well. <laughs> yes. Uh, nice. Um, yes. And that just, that felt like Doctor. That was a moment where it's like, yes, this is Doctor Who after all. It's not some weird American film I've just tuned into. And yeah, more of that. And I would have been riding this train all the way to Pleasureville. <laughs> <laughs> Smashing. <laughs> well, maybe if he'd taken out the line... He's planning to take my body so that he will live and I will die. <laughs> Which also happened. Paul? <laughs> <laughs> what a rush. Very much so. Podcast Land Berlin have got very sleepy. It's very late over it's there. V- it's way past midnight. Yeah. So, yeah. But we have been thrilled to have you back in the fold, Marie. And Jim, as always, it's been a delight. Well, thank you, kind sir. Yes, we will... We will pass the reins over to the Oxford crew to see you through the listener minis section. I might leave you with one parting snippet that Leon can can choose to paste paste in if he wants to. Oh, Oh, what is it? (laughs) What? I do wonder. Mm, Oh, Podcast Land, I wonder what Jim just said. I may or may not paste that in very shortly. That's the best time I've heard that. <laughs> I haven't heard it often enough. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh. Let's face it, it's the last time. This is the last classic, yeah. I'm still of the opinion I would I would not at all mind doing an eighth doctor retrospective, in which case obviously everyone is very, very much invited to join. Wow, Drew, you couldn't look more skeptical and disinclined. Anyone in Berlin want to do an eighth Doctor retrospective? Might just be me. I mean, all I've seen is this film. Yeah, isn't that what we just did? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what else do you need to see? You've seen Night of the Doctor. Surely that's it. I. I anyway, yeah. we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it might be a one and done with this. Dude. <laughs> oh no. So for now. All right, we'll get to bed yeah. then, Berlin. Yeah. It's been a blast. It's been lovely. Thanks, everyone. It's been wonderful. Bing bong, future Leon here with just a few words to add. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into all this in our Who Back When retrospective, but the ending of this part of the recording was, as you may have just noticed, a bit rushed because it was mega late. Our fellow hosts in Berlin were a further hour ahead of us here in Oxford um, and about to fall asleep. And so we didn't get a chance to raise a glass to the fact that this was... 
This was the last time that Jim, who I believe has herewith been on more than half of our classics, 81 out of 160 episodes, the last time that he would be reviewing a classic Who story. He's also been on 30 new Who's, by the way, and a bunch of bonuses, obviously. Jim Cakes, I hope you're listening to this and uh, maybe blushing right now, because I have loved travelling down this temporal road with you, discovering the origins of this show together, all the nerdy bands, the international cocktails, all of it. You know this already, I hope, but you are a sensational chap, such a great guy. You're a, you're a mensch, a fabulous co-host and a terrific friend. And if they suddenly unearth a treasure trove of forgotten classic Doctor Who serials, then, uh, then I hope you will review them with me as well. And if not, I look forward to all the non-Hoovian bands ahead anyway. Chin chin, old sponge. We did it. <laughs> Bing bong, back to the show. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Ahoy, you lucky people. Here we are once again. <laughs> this is the mini section of this podcast episode. Thank you very much, Jim, who is, has uh, since gone to bed in Berlin, where it is about 1am. Hello, Podcast Land. Welcome to the listener mini section of this podcast episode. Holy smokeroonies and cheesecakes. We have six minis lined up for you this fine soiree, of which three we will read in its full in their full splendor, and three we will snip. Who's first? Why first up it's Bob Balderdash. Fancy meeting you here. Hello, Bob! Sup, Bob? Bob here, says Bob. And Bob's got to say that this one was a bit meh. Bob can't say Bob remembers this movie fondly, and Bob would include more, but Bob saw this movie on a TV which no longer exists using a DVD Bob rented from the library, so shaky memory will have to do. (laughs) Bob continues, Bob does recall that this just didn't feel very Doctor Who at all. More like someone's fan fiction in the Doctor Who universe. The Doctor is hot, agreed. The Master is hot, agreed. (laughs) The sidekick is a love interest instead of a companion. I'd say both. I was going to say exactly the same. Bob continues, though, and there is no way that someone who actually writes for Doctor Who would think, yeah, it would be cool if the seventh Doctor was immediately gunned down by a gang. Very fair. That is a, yeah, that's an absolutely valid comment, Bob. Yeah, suddenly I'm not sure how I let that slide. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's not a great Doctor Who story when the awesome, incredible sci-fi elements of the week is just a really accurate clock. Oh, yeah. Well, there's also the entire interior of the TARDIS, which I think is also the sci-fi element of the show, of this story. And the Master as a weird regen snake. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But what does Bob give this, Leon? Bob gives this two seconds to New Year's out of five. Wowie, Bob. Mm. You know what? Valid points, valid opinions, fair enough, agree to disagree, but... Awesome. It's about time we heard more from the conventional traditional end. Yeah, it, slash very possibly more rational end. Who knows? Maybe <laughs> yes. we were just like really, really enthused having just watched it. Bob, thank you so much for writing in and sending in a mini again. Long time no see. Peeps who are not Bob, say hi to him from us. Yeah, seem to cut above <laughs> the usual boulder dash, Bob. Thanks for writing. <laughs> Who's next? Next up, it's Andy Parkinson. What up, Andy? <laughs> Andy starts. Hi, chaps. Hi, Andy. 
this is probably my shortest ever review because it's the TV movie and it's shit, isn't it? Or is it? <laughs> okay, so obviously the Doctor being half human is shit. Mm. All the kissing is shit. Agree to disagree. The Cloister Room slash Eye of Harmony is bafflingly shit. What? And the Master being atomized and then turning into a see-through goose snake is WTFingly shit. Oh, wow. Agree to hugely disagree, frankly. Mm. Interesting. Ayandi mm. continues, but all that aside, McGann is Fabulous. Agreed. Daphne Ashbrook is brilliant and Eric Roberts out Ainley's Ainley. I also love the Sylvester McCoy bits. Oh, so much agreement all of a sudden. Oh my goodness. Overall, says Ayandi, it's not the reboot we wanted back in 1996 and it certainly divides the fandom. But if you don't watch it with a critical eye, it's a really fun romp. And Andy awards this 3.9 resurrected doctors scaring the shit out of mortuary assistants out of five. <laughs> Adding in PS, if you've not caught it yet, I certainly recommend the documentary called Doctor Who Am I? Currently available on Amazon Prime in the UK. It follows the writer of this story as he reintegrates to Doctor Who fandom. It certainly helps give a fresh look at the TV movie in a new light. Interesting. Very interesting. I'm currently enjoying one of those free trials of of Amazon Prime. Maybe I'll watch that tomorrow. Do it. Yeah. Thank you very much for the recommendation, Andy. People who are not Andy, where can they find Andy, Drew? They can find Andy at Kyle <laughs> That's the number. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Andy. Who's next? No, sorry, Zoo's next. <laughs> it's Peter Zunich, the Zoomeister himself. Hello, Peter. What's up, Peter? Peter begins, firstly, this thing needs a better name than the movie. Agreed. Why is it not called Out of Time or Millennium? Oh, my goodness. That's how it was marketed. And they're both quite fitting. Wow. That's such a good point. I didn't think about that, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, was it called Doctor Who colon the punctuation, the movie, or was it just called Doctor Who when it came out? And has it since been labelled Doctor Who the movie? I'm afraid I don't know. I don't know either. Hmm. Based on Peter's introduction here, I'm going to say the former. That's really weird branding. Mm. Good point, Peter. Peter continues, the story is faithful, mostly. There are a lot of themes and call-outs to the series past, perhaps too many, yet it's successful in cramming excessive backstory for new viewers and fan service for the old. Mm. It's almost overpowering in its name dropping. (laughs) Very true. Yeah, that is true. McCoy's ending was quite abrupt, perhaps fitting for his series, but it was great to see him. McGann is quintessentially the Doctor, an outstanding choice for the role. He's both serious and playful, a beautiful combination. It could be said, though, that this is Dr. Grace's story, and Daphne gives a standout performance. Lee is okay, but slightly disrespected, going from caring street punk to the master's lackey, because why not? Yeah, that's a fair point, because like, what is he going to do after this? Just bling is essentially the culmination of his arc. Yeah. There's no yeah. moral goal to his actions. It's all just, I want money, I've got money, bye. Mm. Yeah. Ah, Peter continues, while I like Eric Roberts' performance, I don't feel he's accurately portraying the master. His character is more fitting of the Terminator than Doctor Who. And what's with a gooey snake? 
Heard that before. There's more than one plot indulgence that just doesn't mesh. However, don't judge it too hard just because of that one idea. Just ignore it. Although the story doesn't really work without it, we can just leave it there and move on like the timelessness of a certain child. <laughs> Very nice, Peter. Yes. Sooner or later, we've all got to overlook certain things, haven't we? It's like being in a broad church. Imagine that. <laughs> Peter concludes, it's a jam-packed, well-thought adventure that in some ways feels strangely shallow and off the mark. Mm. 3.0 motorcycle chases around abandoned Frankenstein hospital wings. <laughs> yeah, actually, it deserves <laughs> minus points for, for that wing alone. But yeah, no, fair enough. Excellent mini, Peter. As always, thank you so much for sending that in. Awesome stuff. People who are not Peter, find Peter, high-five him, tell him hi from us. You'll have to do it the Terminator way and look through the phone book. (laughs) (laughs) Hunt down all the Peter Zuniches in the Los Angeles area. Do not do that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You can let them live once they say they're not the one. Don't stalk him anyway. Thanks, Peter. (laughs) Right. Snips henceforth. Who's next? First to be snipped, it's Kieran Evans. What up, Kieran? Kieran Snipgins. Paul McGann! While maybe not fully formed as per Big Finish, he certainly hits the ground running and he manages to enhance the dialogue he gets. Kieran continues, snip, snippity, snip, 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 and concludes with misguided in places, maybe. But it's interesting to see how much New Who actually takes from this. Agreed. Mm. It's very much a bridge between the two eras, for better or worse. Interestingly, it seems that this occurring actually delayed the BBC revival as there were plans, but then rights issues from this one delayed things. Very interesting. We should have done our research. That's very interesting. A figure of five years worth of delay sticks in my mind. Still, that being said, I enjoyed my rewatch, so it can't be that awful. And Kieran gives this 3.2 out of 5. We agree, Kieran. It can't be that awful. Holy smokes. Yeah, thank you very much, Kieran. Peeps who are not Kieran, read it in its full splendor on whoback1.com. And then head on over to <laughs> KJ Evans 2 for what reason, Drew? For all your Evan needs. <laughs> yes, indeed. Thank you very much, Kieran. Who's next? Next up, it's a bit of Ollie Raven. Hello, Ollie. Ollie says, My opinion nowadays is boringly the consensus one. Terrific performance from McGann. Poor story. Millennium Eve shenanigans, while that was still just about futuristic. Bad execution. Strange that this same incarnation would go on to have a far superior audio story early in his big finish days called The Chimes of Midnight. Interesting. Hmm. Overall, says Ollie, 2.3 beryllium atomic clocks out of 5. Reckon it's for the best that this version of the show, but not of the doc, failed to be picked up for a series. Fair point, Ollie. Very possible. Yeah, thank you very much. Peeps, what or not Ollie, you know the drill. Head on over to at Foggy Doctor Who. For all your Ollie needs. And uh, yeah, say hi from <laughs> us. Thank you very much, Ollie. Who's last? Last up, it's Stephen from Canada. Uh, <clears throat> oh. It's Stephen from Canada. Viva oh. Las Vegas. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. 
Stephen from Canada. Hello, Stephen. Stephen says, snip snipperoonies and snip cakes. Then continues, this story is somewhat of a mess, running at an absolute breakneck speed and being some weird bastardization of the deadly assassin and keeper of truck, and at least where the master is concerned, but I can't say it wasn't enjoyable. All the performances are excellent. Paul McGann in particular is incredibly charming. And I can see why people are so fond of him. Who I? Overall, snips Stephen, this story earns 3.8 extreme close-ups of hospital patients that look suspiciously similar to Winston Churchill out of five. <laughs> Thank you very much, Stephen. People who are not Stephen, yeah, I believe you are already aware where you can find Stephen. But just in case I'm wrong and you're not aware, where can people find Stephen? They can find Stephen at S. Andreachen. <laughs> That's right, yes. And if you go to his full review in all its splendor on whobackwhen.com, you can see exactly when Stephen was born. <sighs> yeah, well, I mean, it's either that or children of men, so I guess we're happy to have you around. I mean, it's okay. I don't feel old at all. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Stephen. Yep. yep, yep, yep. Bing bong, future Leon here again. This time with one more listener mini. Yes, that's right. Well, a listener mini mini. This one comes from GP. Uh, I say G, I say P. GP, GP. Yes, right. Hello, GP. GP says, snip, snippity, snip, 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 and concludes with, it's a good romp, but far from perfect, and rates this, 3.8 chunky 90s TV sets that look so outdated. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Thank you very much, GP. People who are not GP, uh, you know the drill. Head on over to backone.com, read uh, this mini in its full splendor, along with all the other ones. And um, head on over to YouTube and Insta, where you can find GP as you find those G-spots. That's right, finding G-spots. <laughs> Thank you very much, GP. Oh, and before I bing-bong back, while I have your attention, please head on over to New To Who. It's a fantastic podcast, and listen to their review of Doctor Who, colon, the punctuation, the movie. I'm pretty sure I've sung its praises on Who Back When before. It is an absolutely fantastic review. It's a fantastic podcast, but that is in particular an incredibly relevant review uh, to bring up today. Yeah, bing bong, back to the show. In fact, thank you everyone who sent something in for this, I'm going to say it, amazing and almost flawless movie. <laughs> well, certainly Marie would think so. <laughs> my word. Yeah, Marie, you're my friend who agrees with me. Wow, holy smokes, we did it. This is the end of Classic Who. Yep, we have put Berlin to bed and now we are putting a channel to bed. That's right, yeah. Ah. <sighs> Wow. Uh, just 10 years ago, we... You and Flappy. Yeah, sat down to uh, review the very first Hartnell story, but, but yeah. An unearthly child. Yeah, an unearthly amount of time has passed since then, and here <laughs> we are. Podcastland, you've been a fabulous audience for 10 years. Thank you so much. But this is not the end of Doctor Who, as far as Who Back When is concerned. There's yeah. yet more left-ish. Next up in the classic channel, nope. <laughs> Next up in the audio channel, it will be Doctor Who, the colon, <laughs> redacted. Punctuation. Sorry, yeah, it's late. 
There's so much punctuation rolling around the titles at the moment. Have you listened to that yet? I have not. I have not either. We've been busy. <laughs> yeah, been busy, busy, busy. We've both been on like the last eight episodes. Oh, flips. After that, we're going to be entering New Who territory with the very last of New Who, as far as Who Back When is concerned, <laughs> presumably. Currently. Yeah. What's that? The Power of the Doctor. Which actually reminds me, you made an incredibly good observation while we were watching Doctor Who Cole on the punctuation the movie, yes. and that is that the very finale, the climactic finale, is incredibly similar to one of the major plot points of Power of the Doctor. Yeah, the Master and the Doctor are plugged into either end of a life-sucking machine. Yeah. Bizarre that we didn't talk about this this evening, actually. But yeah, slam, pens down. Drew did have that thought. Yeah, and we will revisit it in our The Power of the Doctor review. Undoubtedly. And we'll say which one looks better from memory, the movie version. Definitely. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. After that, we're going to be entering bonus Who territory again with either the 8th or the 13th Doctor, respectively. Possibly one, then the other. We'll see. And, and the after... anniversary specials are in the mix somewhere. Yeah, they're... I can't do the maths right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In the meantime, people can say hi to us online somehow. Drew, where can you be found? I can be found via two methods. One is to email whobackwhen at gmail.com or you can X tweet X at whobackwhen. <laughs> That's right. An excellent way of... An excellent way... Ugh, no, that doesn't uh, work. Yeah, no, you're playing Elon, you, you messed up. You messed yeah, up. Still uh, a good way to get in touch with any of us. Let's see. Uh, what about the rest? Well, Marie can be found at Hamash and Jelly. Wow, those are three of my favorite things. Yeah, on the ground. That's right. Jim can be found at Really Complicated Handle at Mastodon. <laughs> <laughs> EU. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> to interact with Jim Cakes, head on over to thewhatnow.eu slash at Jimmy. That's worse. <laughs> but one or the other podcast land. <laughs> Leon, how about you? Have you got a short, memorable series of letters? You betcha. You can X me at Ponkin, P-O-N-K-E-N. Yeah, I said X me because I'll probably, I'm probably an X Twitter member by the time you listen to this podcast <laughs> land. Yeah, P-O-N-K-E-N. But you have to stay because it's crucial to our continued podcast growth. <laughs> In any case, Podcast Land, <laughs> thank you so much for listening to us. Yep. You've been absolutely lovely. This evening, this morning, afternoon, evening or night, whenever it is that you're listening to this episode, and in fact, the last decade of our Classic Who reviews. For all 33 years of Classic Who. Cripes. Cripes, Aruni and Cheesecakes. Yeah. Until the next time, please be rad and excellent to one another, and uh, yeah, rock on. Cha-chao. Bye-bye. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters 
monsters and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, ciao ciao. Who back when?